Welcome to First Thought, a podcast by Galway International Arts Festival. I'm Tiernan Henry, the host of the festival's Vinyl Hours. Vinyl Hours is a series of talks with music aficionados who take us on a musical journey through the soundtrack of their lives. We've had to edit out the songs here in order to release Vinyl Hours as a podcast, but you can listen to guests' full playlists on Galway International Arts Festival's Spotify page. Our guest this time is best-selling author Liz Nugent. Our conversation was recorded in front of a socially distanced live audience in September 2020 at the King's Head in Galway. Enjoy Vinyl Hours with Liz Nugent. She's best-selling author of four critically acclaimed novels. Liz is a Dubliner who worked for the production side of Riverdance in Fair City for years before publishing her debut novel in 2014. Her books get a grip on you from the first line and page after page they drop to the lives of people who at best are pretty horrible. Uh, but who are so clearly and precisely written that they're entirely believable and hugely fascinating. As she told Roshan England, the Irish Times earlier this year, these are not normal people. So, big welcome. Thank you. Thank you. After, after the success of Sally Woolley's book, That's, I yeah. wanted to call my book Abnormal People. <laughs> <laughs> so it's too late. Yeah, well, maybe the next one, you know, or, or yeah. the box set, when you do the box set in 20 years. You know. So what, why don't we start with the song? We'll just start with the song first and then we'll okay. see where it takes us for okay. the next short while, okay? And then we'll talk, we'll introduce the song afterwards, I guess, but we'll just okay. wait, let's see what people think. So Liz, why Frank Sinatra? Or why this song in particular? Well, you asked me to kind of uh, pick songs that uh, were moments in my life. Yeah. And I guess my dad was the first person who introduced me to music. I don't think my mother ever owned a single record right. until Julio Iglesias came out or something <laughs> awful. Or, and then she got a bloody ticket to Leonard Cohen in, in Kilmainham and I didn't. And I, like, <laughs> it was monstrously unfair. Yeah. But dad introduced me to music and um, this song is particularly poignant for me now because I think he's in the final months of his life and right. he's in a care home and uh, it's very tough yeah. going to see him. Yeah. So um, that's just, I picked that one as a tribute to my dad. Yeah, and, it, it, and I suppose, because I, I, I always think, I grew up in a house, we, there was very little music in our house as well, yeah. but Sinatra was my father's. Yeah. That's, you know, he, like, exactly. we, he didn't really have records, but you know, there was this connection, I think, and I think there's a connection probably with a generation of Irish males in particular yeah. to, you know, the Godfather, and, um, and, and, but particularly to Frank Sinatra as well. Yeah, and there's a, actually a brilliant uh, YouTube clip, you can look it up, of uh, Frank Sinatra recording this with the orchestra, yeah. and he's smoking fast, like, during <laughs> it, and you know, challenge of the sound engineer and yeah. uh, he says, hey, my peas are popping here. You don't want and he's he's clearly a bit jarred, you know, yeah. but he's really loving it and enjoying it. Yeah. And I know he was an awful bollocks in real life, but, yep. um, you know, with a voice like that, I almost forgive him. Yeah. <laughs> Apart and, from and, the kind of wife battery yeah. and all that, but, you know, yeah, it's hard to get past that. But. And I know, you, you know, you hear he had a very tough upbringing and all those yeah. things, you know, but you're right. I mean, he was he, he wasn't a nice yeah. man. No. And yet when he opened his his mouth I know. and he was and these weren't his songs, you know, they were yeah. other people had written them, but he put this stamp on them. But, and again, that voice, I think oh, was incredible. Yeah. And, that, and that song marking out the chapters of his life yeah. and now my dad being 85 yeah. Yeah. and, you know, being about to check out, yeah. you know, 
and all of the markers in his life. And yeah. I'd love to be able to ask him now what it was like when you were at, 21. At each, yeah, yeah. But he's not able to answer yeah. me anymore. So, yeah. um, you know, I wish I'd asked him. So yeah. if you have parents who are still alive, ask them now whether whether yeah. they're still good. Yeah. You know. And it, I mean, it is a hard one, I think. And again, certainly our parents are probably of that generation who probably grew up in the, you know, born in the 20s or 30s who didn't. Um, I think there's an element there that, you know, they didn't record things, you know, so there wasn't and and they were reflective probably internally, but there was no kind of idea that you could just you got a camera, you can photograph everything now, we can record everything digitally. So there's not no yeah. moment lost. No. Because you think there's whole chunks of their lives that we have no way yeah. of connecting to simply because they just got, you know, they got they went to school, they went to work, you know, they raised families, you know. Yeah, I would have listened to that on the tape recorder. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Tapes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, you know, as I say, it's, it's completely changed. We had, I think, we had a, a one of those old. You lifted the lid, but it had all the radio stations on the front. You know, with Hilversum and Athlone yes. and all of those places. And it was an ancient thing, but you could play records in it. You know, wow, that's you what were we. Posh. Well, you know, it was this ancient thing that that's where we started playing yeah. things. But it was in the kitchen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you kind of had to get permission to play something. You know? Yeah. You know? Well, we eventually got a record player. Yeah. It was in the good room that we yes. weren't allowed into. <laughs> so you had to sneak in to listen yeah. to a record. Yeah. You know? yeah. That, that's really interesting, just it, how you, you, you picked this one. And I asked you previously, but was it difficult to pick these? Or you know, did you find it awkward or not, not difficult? No, because right, I, 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 like, I have a hundred favourite songs, yeah. so narrowing it down to eight was yeah. was a tricky bit. And I have done Des's Island yeah. Discs yeah. and I've done Medina Regan's uh, Songs in the Key yeah. and I've done one for Shane Coleman's podcast. And right. But I've picked pretty much different songs yeah. for, for every um, thing because, you know, the songs are so universal and there's so yeah. many good songs out there that it's really hard to... Yeah. You know, and it is unfair. It's really unfair of us to kind of put <coughs> you on the spot. You know, to put them just say, right, you know, boil it down to eight or nine songs. You know, because I'm sure, like with everyone, there's another list you'd have tomorrow yeah. and another list you'd have tonight, and yeah. something will spark you off. You know, so your second track is it's, it's a real pivot off to the side, I suppose. That you know, going from Frank Sinatra, and and it takes us into a particular type of music, I think, as well, which is kind of English folk music, a little bit. Yeah. So it's June Tabor. It's June so, Tabor yeah. um, singing Shipbuilding, which was a song uh, written by Elvis mm. Costello. But this, I, I just think this particular version of it is extraordinarily beautiful. And the reason I chose it was because it's about, um, it's about the Falklands War and it's about a northern English town where there has been no industry in the middle of a massive recession in 1982. and there's a rumor that goes around town that shipbuilding is coming back in but it, it's it's a song about what is the cost of the shipbuilding and how many lives are going to be lost as a result of this shipbuilding and it's a really um emotional song mm. you know all the songs i pick are you know cause me pause you yeah. know because uh it, it's um it's a choice between, like you'll hear from the very beginning, uh, and you know, they say that there's going to be shipbuilding. Will I buy a coat and shoes for the yeah. wife and a bicycle for the boy's birthday? Mm -hmm. If I if I get work shipbuilding, and then later on in the song, you probably won't get to the end of it, but later oh, on in the yeah. song, it, it talks about, you know, the the amount of 
deaths that yeah. were caused in the yeah. Falklands War. And these young men who got these jobs in this northern English town working on, on, on ships and then going out to war and how many of them were killed. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, the futility of war generally. We'll play a little bit of it, just so the people get a flavour of it. But again, all the tracks that we're playing, you'll get the full ones on the Spotify playlist for, for that's on the, the Galway International Arts Festival, First Thought Talks podcast. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I, I, at the time, in 1982, I had the greatest fear of nuclear war. Yeah. You know, I just, I, it was such a huge threat in my life, and it mm. was such a, a fear um that you know when i eventually heard the song like only a couple of years ago yeah. um it kind of brought me back to that fear of nuclear war and yeah. trident missiles yeah. and reagan and thatcher and yeah. all of that frightening I, stuff I, and it's the way she performs it it's almost like um it's like she's reading a news item almost yeah. you know like she's standing declaiming this yeah and because what i think is really interesting about it is like her diction is so clear it's like she's you know she really wants you to hear every single word and as it builds as you were saying the anger builds and she can hear the anger building mm. in her voice mm. I mean, it's it's a powerful powerful piece of music yeah it's know. gorgeous yeah and but you came to it more recently this mm. version of it did you know the costello or the the other version from um, the, the yeah i i had a very embarrassing incident with Elvis costello where i met him at a party many, many years ago. And first of all, I mistook him for my dentist. <laughs> and that was embarrassing enough. And then he told me that, um, you know, I, I, I knew he was English, you know, mm. by his accent. And I said, um, so, you know, what are you doing in Dublin? And he said, I'm a musician and I'm doing a gig in the gate. And this was 1991 or thereabouts, right. 92. And uh, I said, um, oh, you must mean the gaiety. Like, the gate doesn't do gigs. You must mean the gaiety. And he said, no, no, it's the gate. And I said, no, 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 you know, you're definitely wrong. It's the gaiety. The gaiety do late night gigs. You know, yep. if you're a musician, you, and he's like, no, it's the gate. And I said, no, the only person who's, who's, who's ever done music in the, in the gate it's coming up soon is Elvis Costello and the Brodsky Quartet. And I was telling him, expecting him to be really interested. And he just kind of looked at me and I looked at him and the penny dropped. And I just, I couldn't even apologize. I couldn't say anything. So I just kind of, we both turned away with our drinks in our hands. And so I can't actually listen to him because every time I come back to it, I'm just so mortified. No. Absolutely mortified. So uh, yeah, because I, I I was working in the gate at the time. So right, okay. you know, <laughs> so you had the experience. Dentist, like yeah, yeah. that's okay, you know. And it's important, I think, when you're younger to have those incidents. I think you know. Um, I want to ask you just very briefly about the books. Um, you you know you weren't you, you were working for a number of years before you published the first novel. And just because we're talking about music, did you have a kind of second Andrew album syndrome about the second book? Like, did you think, did you worry at all that everything went into the first book and there mightn't be a second book? Well, I was absolutely shocked that I had to write a second book. Right. <laughs> I, I, I thought, I'd, you know, that you'd write one book and, you know, it might be on the shelves for a couple of weeks and then mm. it would disappear. 
And so I was really surprised then when they asked me to write a second one. I was like, but I've I've written it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I didn't think I had any more ideas. I thought everything, because actually there's an awful lot of story. Unraveling Oliver is a very thin little mm. volume of a book. But I thought that all of the stories in my head had been used up. Yeah. So it was only when I started writing the second one, I kind of thought, oh, actually, I have more ideas. And, you know, so. Yeah. That was a shocker. But in actual fact, I would like to be Harper Lee and write one book and then go into hiding yeah. and never <laughs> appear again. Yeah. Or Margaret Mitchell, you know, yeah. one of those one book wonders who then the never has to write another one. Yeah. 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 And, and do you enjoy the writing? Uh, I find it really hard work, I have yeah. to say. It's, it's uh, you know, I actually put the line into Unraveling Oliver because he's supposed to be a writer. Uh, where he says, um, those people who say the book write themselves, they're full of shit. Or yeah. And I was like, I feel a bit like that. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, uh, I wrote every single word, <laughs> comma, <laughs> sentence. And you know, when you get your edits back, it's not like the editor fixes it up for yeah. you. You have to do all the yeah. fixing, yeah. you know. So yeah, um, I, I find it, uh, grueling and like at the end of a day's writing and when I say a day's writing it's probably four hours max of mm. writing that I can do I'm absolutely exhausted like really really tired and um, brain tired like do you self-edit now do, do you kind of pre-guess what going to come back from the editor so or do you well, just write or do you are you continually going no, back and revising I've, I've continually learned from every book through the process and um, so the first book was uh, structure huge amount of structural editing yeah. and then the second book was a 70 percent rewrite from the first yeah. draft and then the third book uh, didn't need a lot of edits and then the last in our little cruelties uh, there was hardly any edits yeah. because I, you know you just learn from the process yeah. of, of going on and yeah. you know I trust my editor Patricia Davey right. and uh, she's been absolutely wonderful so um, the editing process being a learning experience and you know I'm quick on the uptake I suppose yeah. apart from the second book 70% <laughs> rewrite well you know as we go on to your next and these the next three songs in particular we don't play bits of them but they yeah. are linked probably by time probably i suppose is the first thing yeah. so they're sort of from the early 90s yeah and they probably then so we could probably just talk about them as a group so we might just play clips of the three of them okay and and then we'll kind of so you're going to hear a bit of skunk and nancy radiohead and um and porter's head skunk and nancy yeah, yeah. like all three of those songs came from watching MTV right. religiously um, in my rented flat in Rathmines at the time. And, uh, you know, in between theatre jobs, you know, because I was a freelance stage manager for many, many years. So there was a lot of um, resting, shall we say, <laughs> between jobs. So I would just, you know, eat super noodles and watch uh, MTV. And um, so those three songs came from that time. And Skunk and Nancy burst onto the scene. Just this stunningly beautiful black woman, bisexual, never got her kit off to sell a record. Mm. Just and this 
amazingly, incredibly powerful voice. And somebody just told me last night that she has a book yeah. coming out. Same, someone so, told me as well. Yeah, 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 so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I just hope it's not better than the name mine, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suspect it will be nonfiction about yeah. her life because yeah. she's yeah. had an extraordinary life. And uh, so, yeah, and the first time I saw her, I kind of fancied her. Like I'm saying this in front of my husband, but I kind of thought, God, she's so attractive. And then when I found out she was bisexual, I thought, could have been in with a chance. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, she's she's there's something incredibly attractive about her as a person, a singer, a woman of integrity. Yeah. You know, I just think she's incredible, incredible person. Yeah. So. And, and like the, the singles, I remember those things, they, they were so direct. She was so direct singing them, yeah. you know, and as you say, like it was, she was in the band, but it was very definitely just you were just looking at her. Yeah. You know, um, skin. Yeah. 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 Now. And then Radiohead. Radiohead. Uh, well, I did always feel like a weirdo. Yeah. Um, so it kind of struck struck chord at me. And the only place I didn't feel like a weirdo was in the theatre. Mm. Um, so in those moments, between not working, you know, I, I felt out of my depth. I felt yeah. kind of functionless and, you know, so I, I knew that I belonged in the arts in some way. And, you know, even backstage, your kind of stage managers are pretty low down the pecking order. But um, I, well, I, f I felt they were perhaps because of who I was working for at the time. Um, but... Um, you can Google that. Uh, um, yeah, it was... Uh, I, I did feel like a fish out of water and I did feel like a creep and what the hell are you doing yeah. here? And like, why are you, why are you so weird? And why are you so odd? And, you know, yeah. and I found my odd and weird and creepy family in the theater. So yeah, uh, yeah. kind of had a happy ending for me. Good. <laughs> and I mean, it follows on, I suppose, with, with Portishead again, because Beth Gibbons' voice is, it, it, she, it, she always kind of reminds me like June Tabor. It's almost sounds like a folks, She's yeah. got a folk singer voice almost. Absolutely, yeah. But it's in a trip hop kind of setting, you yeah. know. And and it's a really raw voice. You yeah. know, there's there's edges all over that voice of hers, you know. And but again, you can't stop listening. And I know it's been treated in the recording process, but she kind of, you know, opens up later and it really is a powerful um sound she makes. Yeah. I sang that song. The only reason I chose that was because I sang that song. Uh, drunk um, uh, uh, on a table in blazes with a guy playing the guitar beside me and it's the only time I've ever sung publicly right. in my life <laughs> and the last time right. I would ever sing publicly in my life but uh, yeah I got a great kick yeah. out of it. There's one thing we, we've a few just a few songs left to play but there's one thing I noticed about the playlist that when you sent to me um, the voice is is key yeah, it's and the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. So Sinatra start off with like the voice. Yeah. You know, like this pristine voice, but it's not his song. But all the other songs that you've picked, essentially, it's about the really good songs, but the delivery of them. The voices wouldn't be kind of classical voices like mm. a Sinatra voice mm. or, you know, um, uh, an Ella Fitzgerald type voice. They have, they're full of character. Yeah. You know, and... But so they match the lyric perfectly. But I would say the same about books that I read, that it's the voice that's the most important yeah. thing. And it's the voice um, that comes across in first person narration books. Mm. Um, 
it's the voice that's the, the thing that appeals the most yeah. to me in books. So uh, it's the same with music. Yeah. yeah. And then with your, with your books, do you hear the voice? Yeah. As, as you, before you're writing it or as you're writing it? Well, funny enough, um, Unraveling Oliver, and this goes back to the theatre again. The first chapter of that was written as a short story for the Francis McManus yeah. competition. And um, I was asked, because I worked in the theatre, I was asked um, which actor I wanted to narrate yeah. Oliver. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I chose Barry McGovern, who was an old friend at this stage because I'd worked with him so often. And we had done uh, Gatto for like, it seemed like 10 years in that theatre I worked in. Yeah. And um, uh, he uh, he was, uh, he brought Oliver to life mm. for me. So once I heard him do that, then I could hear the voice of Oliver as I continued to write yeah. him. And, it, and then Barry just did such a brilliant yeah. version of that. And I got to sort of direct him a bit. Right. And then I made a little short film, which is, I think it's still on my website somewhere, but I made a little short film and I used um, Barry's uh, narration over the top of that. And it's just perfect. So, so um, yeah, I always have somebody in mind, yeah. you know, I suppose when I'm writing, yeah. writing the books. Is it always Barry McGovern? No, 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 it, it changes. Like yeah. Barry McGovern couldn't have been Lydia and yeah. lying no, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I always have some particular person in mind. Yeah, and I'm, I'm always curious then, like when you, do you find it hard to hand it over, the, you know, for the final, like when, the editor's happy with the edits, you know, and you've kind of done the backwards and forwards. And no, do you, are you just then, glad at that? By then yeah. you're so sick of it because yeah. you've been over it and over it and yeah. over it. And, you know, you kind of know it backwards, but then you've changed a character's name at the last minute and you get asked questions in an audience kind of situation <laughs> about what about then you're kind of going, who is that? Who is that? And you can't remember the name yeah. of the character because you knew them for a much longer time under a different name. And uh, so that's quite yeah. fun. And then like I suppose associated with that is, is there, is there a long lag between you handing it in and then you doing the book tour? Yeah, there's usually six months. So do you have to go back six, and reread it, you know, to? Oh, no, I never have. Yeah. I've, I've, no, because I've never gone back and reread yeah. any of the books I've, I've written. Um, I'm, I'm actually having to sort of rewrite. Um, I'm writing a treatment for the film version of Our Little Cruelties. Now, it hasn't even been optioned. It's just yeah. a thing that I'm doing for a company in Los Angeles at the moment. It, it may well come to nothing but um uh, so i'm having to rewrite it in a separate way because they want um like nothing can be made in in hollywood anymore without some degree of diversity yeah so for example the american wife of will in our little cruelties is now going to be an educated black woman from chicago right. instead of a poor girl from detroit right. yeah. so um so there's various things I have to sew into that. Yeah. And I will also, you know, get, a, a, you know, a sensitivity reader and hopefully uh, a black female co-writer mm. to work with me on yeah. that because I don't want to get anything wrong or, you know, I, I don't want to be cancelled or, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, you can't be too careful about sensitivities. Yeah. 
of of getting something wrong. So. Um, and, and how do you find that? Like, you know, if you if you work as a writer individually, I suppose just in yeah. in your own space every day. Well, I, screenwriting is different yeah. because even though I spent ten years uh, working on Fair City, I like, oh god. This is podcast. I better be careful what I say. Um, it wasn't really the way one should go about writing for television drama, um, in the American sense, mm-hmm. you know, of writing an actual screenplay for five seasons of ten episodes. It's yeah. a completely, completely and utterly different um, genre, yeah. you know. So, so it's very. Uh, it's a very different medium altogether. So I would welcome a co-writer yeah. because I don't know how to do this. And yeah. there are people who are vastly more experienced yeah. than me, and uh, I would, I would need help. So yeah. I would very willingly accept <laughs> help and collaboration yeah. on that end of things that I know nothing about. Right. Yeah. And then you're you're writing or you've written a play. Well, I've written the first draft yeah. of a play, but. Um, that's now gone to the lab and it'll stay there for right. quite a while because it was to be in the gaiety and who knows, I believe I heard somewhere on the radio or something they were thinking of moving Leinster House to the gaiety. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they'd have to defumigate it um, <laughs> quite significantly yeah. before it can be uh, reused as a theatre. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you know the gaiety is a particular kind of theatre that where it's just not viable to open it up for fifty people. Mm, so yeah. um, and it's um, for the wonderful Anne Clark, yeah. who has a long association with Galway International Arts Festival and and the Walsh plays and you know so. Um, yeah, I, I wrote a first draft and sent it up to her and I, you know, I had a phone conversation with her after that and then lockdown happened and I haven't heard anything since and I'm not pushing because I know there is no door, yeah. there's no door to yeah. push. Yeah. So, you know, that that will probably be knocked out to 2022 okay. at this stage, uh, more than likely, yeah. because of all of her slate of plays. You know, they all Everything's deserve. Been yeah, 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 but they all deserve to have their turn and mm-hmm. to get their. You know, these people worked long and hard mm-hmm. in their plays. I only just knocked out a very rough first mm-hmm. draft, uh, which needs a lot of work. Because again, playwriting. Even though I worked in theatre for years, you think you would think that I might know how to write a play automatically just because I'm backstage all the time, but you miss so much from being backstage. Yeah. Um, but like I would have been a regular theatre goer, I would go and see a play, you know, once a fortnight, once every three mm-hmm. weeks, definitely. And uh, I'm really missing it, yeah. really missing it now. Um, hopefully I'll get to see some things in the Fringe and yeah. uh, and in Dublin Theatre Festival. So Okay, well, we'll play a little bit of your next track, which is a quite theatrical uh, performer. Uh, it's Neil Hannon and the yeah. Divine Comedy. Um, so again, we'll just play a bit of it and we'll Talk okay. a little bit about why. So Neil Hannon, the Divine Comedy. I heard this. that song on the Ryan Tuberty show probably ten or twelve years ago, and he, it was just him and mm. a guitar singing it acoustically, and there was such a life story in that song. I mean, you know, it, it goes on to tell the story of this woman who is now 
down her luck, catching drinks off strangers, pretending that she's so much younger than she is. And it turns out at the end of the song that she's 70, mm -hmm. but passing herself off as younger and younger, the drunker she gets in this bar somewhere on the Riviera um, waiting for people to buy her drinks. And she might have some kind of old school glamour about her, but it's all gone. All mm. the money's gone. The husband's dead. Yeah. He left his villa to his mistress in Marseille. Um, you know, her children don't bother coming to see her anymore. Or if they do, they can't get away fast enough. And, yeah. you know, she's really lost. And I thought, oh my God, you know, um, he'll write a book about that song. And I waited and waited and waited for him to write the book about that song. And he didn't. And I thought, well, I'll write it. <laughs> so I started writing Skin Deep based yeah. on on that book. And then, of course, being me, I kind of just threw a corpse right in there on the first page. <laughs> and um, but it, it was totally I mean, it, it went off in a completely different mm. direction then. But it was totally and absolutely inspired yeah. by that song and I would never have got have written that book if it wasn't for that song yeah. and I wouldn't have got the bursary to uh, the Princess Grace Library and right. to stay a month in Monaco <laughs> if I hadn't written yeah. that song because I put that song I put the YouTube clip of the song in my application yeah. and I'm sure that's what got yeah. me the bursary <laughs> because you couldn't hear that song and not hear a book the, in yeah, it yeah, you know because yeah. the story is is so profound and so sad yeah. and she's so damaged and um yeah and then when i wrote the book i you know i went i went off beam completely yeah. with the character um so she's much more damaging mm -hmm. than she is damaged although she's both but um yeah that, so that was a, a really inspiring song <laughs> Literally. And, and does he know it? Does he know he it? does, because yeah. yeah. I actually, I was the guest presenter on the book show on RT right. um, at one stage last year, and they said, who do you want to interview? And I said, well, he's not a writer exactly, but mm. can I interview Neil Hammond? Yeah. So uh, I interviewed him and uh, I asked him about this song and various other things. I asked him about our mutual friend as well, the story behind mm. that. And um, I asked him about this song and he said it was based on a friend of his mother's. All right, OK. Now, I hope she's dead now. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, I think she is, actually. But he said that she was very like that, mm. that she was she was that character yeah. who had lived this life, but was now, you know, was living in a sort of a, a, a flat yeah. In, 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 in Nice and like really down her luck mm -hmm. and people would send out money to her because they would just felt sorry for her yeah. and like all she'd been abandoned by the literati set that she'd been hanging out with in her mm. earlier years and now she was living out the end of her days in penury and poverty yeah. and it was very sad. So. I mean it's really interesting though that it, like a song inspired yeah. And, but I suppose songs inspire songs, you know, yeah, people yeah. hear a song and that, you know, something sparks that and yeah. they take them away, you know. And books inspire yeah. books. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and I, I think with him, a lot of his work is, they are like boiled down, they're not even short stories, they're like novels boiled down to three or four minutes. Yeah. And he, as you say, he just gives you bits, he gives you enough information that you're intrigued. Yeah. And you go, oh, I'd love to know what's behind that, yeah, you yeah. know, and this, but he just keeps you there. And his, I think he sounds like he's from the 50s or something. Well, you know? I said that to him in the interview. Yeah. I said, do you, did you ever feel like you were born in the wrong century? Yeah. Because yeah. in fact, 
you know, if he sometimes when he performs, he he performs in like full Napoleon yeah. Napoleonic kind <laughs> yeah. of gear yeah. and you know uh, dress suits and you know he's very theatrical mm. in in his performances and uh, is often in in period costume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and his dad is a bishop. Yes. <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's so yeah. perfect. He's like yeah. a Dickensian or yeah. a Jane Austen character. But he's, he, uh, he said that um, if he had born in a different era, he wouldn't have survived past four because he had some illness when he was a very small right. child. Okay. So yeah. he wouldn't have survived. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we have that in common because yeah. yeah. I had a brain hemorrhage age seven. Yeah. So I wouldn't have survived yeah. in a different era either. True. So we kind of bonded over that. Yeah. I like to think he's my homie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think he ever finished reading my book. <laughs> but yeah. um, I forgive him. And, yeah. And listen, we've, we've just a couple of tracks left we want to play. And um, the next one is, it's, it's Nina Simone, but it's a very particular one. Um, it's, it's a Janissian song, but you asked for the Nina Simone version of it. Yeah. And why, what, did you know the other one? Or yeah. is it this one? That I, you, knew, I knew this, the, the Janissian yeah. version first. Yeah. And then I saw this on again on YouTube, yeah. Nina Simone singing this um, towards the end of her career. Mm. Um, it was 1976 yeah, yeah. and she is not in her full capacity. She mm. is, I think, on heroin at the time mm. and she is confused she shouts at somebody in the audience during the song and she forgets the lyrics of the song and goes into another song because mm -hmm. she is so lost and it the song itself is about celebrity and the the dangers of celebrity and the fleeting nature of celebrity yeah. and how it it can you know how it can destroy a person or how it can build up a person or how it can give somebody a, a sense of self-worth or importance and when they are no longer a celebrity they feel worthless like they you know that's mm. taken away from them so that was the inspiration for our little cruelties because all of the characters in our little cruelties are celebrities at one stage yeah. or another like they they glide around the the fame arena from the mother down yeah. to the granddaughter, the, the, the child at the end. So I just thought it was a really interesting song yeah. and this version of it would make your heart stop. Yeah. That's, uh, that's around the part where she, she, she actually forgets the lyrics yeah. and goes off theme. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it is an, I think it's an amazing performance because like, she's almost whispering it. But, yeah. but you can still hear the melody. She doesn't lose the melody. The, the fragility yeah. in her voice, particularly yeah. at the beginning, it's quite low where where I'm hearing it now. I don't yeah. know if it's louder where, where you are, yeah. um, but um, she's she she's extremely fragile at mm. the beginning because she's just had this row with somebody yeah. in the audience, yeah. and. Um, she she's she's um, annoyed because she stood up and she said, where's David Bowie? David Bowie is supposed to be here. David Bowie is my friend mm. and he said he'd be here and David Bowie hasn't shown up and she's really upset about this. So she starts out the song just absolutely like she's almost crying. You can mm. hear it in the voice. She's almost crying as she sings the song and you just kind of think, God, the price of fame. You know, you think that David Bowie's going to show up to your gig and wouldn't this be amazing? And, yeah. 
you know, it would be like if if you expected Donald Ryan to come in and he didn't show up, you'd be devil. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, 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 it's just incredibly moving and poignant mm -hmm. and it illustrates all of the lyrics of the song, yeah. you know, of um, of there's a part where she talks about having a name you never owned mm. and because um, I don't I don't think Nina Simone no, is her actual yeah, name yeah. Um, so she's she's talking about you know how you're expected to change and some women have a body men want to see and so they put it on display mm. like the, this the whole song just sums up everything that they're all of the dangers that celebrity brings about with it yeah. And um, so, yeah, I used all of those and mm. put them in the book in various stages. Yeah. yeah, because it follows on from the, you know, the lady at a certain age. It's, you know, yeah. it's somewhere, again, it's somewhere either something you had that's gone or something yeah. you, that was just out of reach or, yeah. you know, and there's a, for people who are maybe quite frail, maybe emotionally, it, that's a dangerous place to be. And you can hear it, I think, in Nina Simone, she was obviously physically and mentally very frail, Yeah, but she could still perform. She could you, you still know, and it's so, it's so honest in that sense, you know, and there's no... she's an incredible pianist. There's yeah. a part later on where she just lets the piano take over and the piano takes the place. The piano gives her... The piano, it's almost like it is playing itself. Yeah. Having said, books don't write themselves, pianos don't play themselves <laughs> either. But it is as if the piano allows her time to gather herself and to go on with the song. But at that stage, it's it's too late. Yeah. So she just goes into this mad riff on the piano, yeah. and it's stunning. Like she was a classically trained pianist. Mm. I think the only black pianist in Juilliard School of Music mm. or something. And like she's just, or in a conservatoire. I mean, it was it was somewhere very um, highfalutin that she studied studied the piano. I should have researched this more. But um, no, it's it's it's. And then again, I keep referring you back to YouTube, but watch the YouTube clip because the camera doesn't stay off her face for very long, yeah. and it isn't the most compelling. If you're just watching her, her her struggle, and her loss, and her determination to get through it, and then when she does go into another song, she absolutely nails it. Mm. Like she does come back from that fragility, yeah. and becomes stronger and stronger as she goes on yeah. with the song. Because, I, I, yeah, it, it's worth looking to find the video. It's uh, the whole thing, the whole show yeah. is on YouTube. Yeah. And when you read the reviews of it, it goes from zero stars to five stars. People say that's a complete disaster. This is, you know, the end of her career. This is her yeah. washed up. And other people are saying this is the most audacious thing you'll ever hear because yeah. she, she does pull it back. And I suppose there's an element as well, when you think about it, you know, that she was a black woman and had she been a white man, that per behavior, if you want, would have been more acceptable or seen as more artistic. Oh, you Frank know, you know, you, yeah, you know what you I mean? Know, yeah. Like, he got away so with being drunk thing, you know, on stage yeah, yeah. so often. Yeah. And, you and, know. Yeah, and, so, and obviously yeah. different standards were being set, or diff there were different expectations. And I suppose for the artist like Nia Simone, in the mid-70s, it was still a very difficult world to be in. Absolutely. You know, the music industry, yeah. you know, so. But we finish on a, for more upbeat note, maybe, perhaps, Tom Waits. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know Young how Tom upbeat Waits, this though, is. You know, yeah. Because well, you know, 
Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the song is about... Now, I didn't know this when I heard the song because I didn't actually properly listen to the lyrics <laughs> until after I chose the song for the particular reason I chose right. it back in the day. But um, the song is about a man driving home in his favourite car, an old 55, which is some American yeah. <laughs> automobile. And he's just had an amazing night of sex with an incredible woman. And that's what the song is about. So he's just really cheerful. But when I heard it, I thought it was about a funeral. <laughs> so I used it. I wrote a, a, a television play for Tichy Carter um, years ago in the Chaumarchais series about a woman who was um, who had checked into a hotel and um, she somebody was coming from Dignitas to help her to mm. end her life. So this was the song Sticky. she chose nice. to go yeah. out on. <laughs> so it's not exactly a happy song. <laughs> Although if you actually read the lyrics, yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, so yeah. I totally misunderstood <laughs> this song when I hear when I heard it. But if you listen to the lyrics and think of it in terms yeah. of a funeral, it works. I lead the parade yeah. um, and, you know, mm -hmm. that it completely works yeah. and I'm going to have it at my funeral. So, <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. you know. But where did you, like, when did you come across this one? Like, when did oh, you, God, I had that Closing Time yeah, album. Yeah. Um, I, when I moved in with Richard, I mean, we both had it. I think we gave away one of the CDs. Well, we, we both yeah. had the album, so um, I've had it maybe 30 years right, yeah. and it's always it was always kind of a sunday morning album for mm. years and um so i, I can't remember where i first yeah, heard it yeah. possibly working on riverdance because we all you know we didn't go back to our rooms after doing riverdance and listen to riverdance we listened <laughs> to all kinds of music and we yeah. shared all kinds of music yeah. and Cara is there was a, a fiddle player in uh, on riverdance for many years with me and didn't we we all shared cds and we mm. went to each other's rooms and heard music that we'd never heard before and um so we all kind of swapped music around and maybe that's where i got the album the first time yeah. that would have been 90 don't say it <laughs> okay in the 90s in the, in the 90s yeah yes yeah. Yeah. The 90s. well let's let's you're so good for having done this and uh, i really enjoyed talking to you about it so what we'll do is could everyone just give a huge round of applause for Larry? Thank you for listening to Vinyl Arts with Liz Nugent on Galway International Arts Festival's First Thought podcast. For more from the festival, see GIAF.ie. See you next time. <laughs>